The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. What's most alive for you right now? Hey listeners, welcome to In the Arena. I'm Jackie Goldberg. And I'm Leah Smart. And today we are joined by LinkedIn's head of mindfulness and compassion program, Scott Shute. So welcome, Scott. Hey, Scott. Thanks very much. I'm excited to be here. Thank you. So happy to have you. So first off, this is our first episode of season two of In the Arena, which is so exciting. And and I could not think, we could not think of a better person to have on our podcast today than Scott Shute. So for our listeners, for those of you who don't know, um, Scott Shute is actually the executive sponsor at LinkedIn for In the Arena for this podcast. Lee and I had this idea about a year and a half ago. We went to Scott, we pitched it, and he trusted us. And Scott, we just want to say thank you. Thank you so much for supporting us, for believing in us. Every step of the way this year, you have been right by our side, and we would not be here today without you and all of the support that you've given us. So thank you so much. And we're so happy you're here with us. Absolutely. My pleasure. And thank you guys for the work that you're doing. It's great. Thank you. So our mission on In the Arena is humanizing work through real conversations. And our goal is to bring these topics of mindfulness and compassion to the world in a scalable way. And all of this, which you will learn today, is very much aligned to what Scott is doing in his role at LinkedIn. So we're going to take a deep dive into who Scott is as an individual um, and where he's come in the work that he's doing at LinkedIn and really in the world, which is really awesome. Yeah, there's a lot of cool stuff to, to get to know about Scott. So we're going to get a deep dive in, but we'll start with some speed dating questions here. Um, so Scott, if you're ready, as is tradition, we're going to start with what is your ideal weekend? Okay, a weekend. Uh, I like to be active. My family and I do a bunch of active stuff. So it might start with yoga. It might be a mountain bike ride. It might be a hike. Um, and just, you know, hanging out with my family or really close friends is, uh, is what I love to do. That's awesome. And you're based in sunny, sun, I was going to say sunny San Francisco, sunny but vale. you're in Sunnyvale, yeah, um, yeah, California. Yeah. I'm in Sunnyvale. Real Sunnyvale. So you have the benefit of warm weather most of the year, which is, which is great. <laughs> most of the time. It is Northern California, so it's not uh, the hot sun that the Southern California gets, but it's great weather. Awesome. So speed dating question number two. What is your favorite type of meditation? Sure. My favorite type, actually, the, the thing that I've been doing since I was a kid is uh, I use a, a mantra-based meditation. We use the word hue. Like some people use the word om, we use the word hue, long and drawn out, and just kind of repetitive for you know, 12 to 20 minutes a day, mm. a couple times a day. It helps keep me centered and grounded and just gives a real sense of peace. Sounds beautiful. Yeah, I remember we got to do that with you for a bit, Scott. Um, we'll talk more about Camp Calm, but it's a really cool experience. Yeah. yeah. Um, cool. And then, Scott, who's your favorite author? Wow, favorite author. I think I'm going to go with Malcolm Gladwell. Mm. I appreciate both his books as well as his podcast. It's one of my revisionist history is uh, outside of yours, my favorite <laughs> podcast right now. <laughs> I have to add that to my list. I don't. I haven't listened to that yet. And that was the right answer, Scott. <laughs> He's, um, I don't know, I just find him quirky. And uh, he, he talks a lot about how people's brains work uh, or just, you know, be human behavior. 
uh, and the way we think about the world. So I like that kind of stuff. Love it. Okay, final question. What's your spirit animal? <laughs> spirit animal. <laughs> I'm going to go with, uh, with a hawk. And you know, a hawk likes to ride the wave currents, ride the, ride the wind, and can see clearly. So I like that. Love it. Yeah. It's a good one. Cool. All right. So you made it through speed dating. Um, so we would love to hear, Scott, just a little bit about who you are. What's your story? Tell us everything. <laughs> everything we need to know. We may not have time for that. I'll, get the, I'll give you the speed version. Um, so I've been at LinkedIn. I'll start from the front and move backwards. I've been at LinkedIn for seven years. And for the first six of those, I led global customer operations. So I was a, an executive here. Um, and most recently, for the last year and a half, I've been the head of mindfulness and compassion. And it's a role that I created, essentially, with the support of our CEO and our head of human resources. But to, to figure out, like, how did we get here? How did we get to a point where, where it's like that? Well, I think I'm a little bit of a dual agent. You know, I've had this nice career that's been fantastic, but it started way before then in a different way in that I've been studying the spiritual path. I've been a seeker, you know, since I was uh, a young kid. And so for me, kind of the seminal event was I was, you know, I was 10 or 11 years old and I always felt like I had this really deep connection to the divine, to something bigger than myself. I grew up on a farm in Kansas, um, and so this is really kind of an interesting place to find you know, these types of works. And when I was 13, I'd say I'd had what I would call a spiritual awakening. And I won't get into the details, but I basically found my truth, and it was really clear that I found my truth. And it felt like something that I'd not been searching for for just a couple of years, but something I'd been searching for for lifetime after lifetime after lifetime. And when I was 13, I just kind of became aware of that. And that experience came with um, a practice that's a deep contemplative practice. And that practice became a big part of my life. And then kind of the next big event for me was I was 17 and trying to decide, like a lot of 17-year-olds, what I was going to do in life. And it felt like this really black or white path, a hard left or a hard right. And on one side was I was going to get an engineering degree and join corporate America. But at the time, the movie Wall Street had come out, and this character Gordon Gecko, with the motto "Greed is good," was you oh, know yeah. was really part of pop culture. Yeah, and it felt like, wow, I'm gonna if I do that, I'm gonna go work for this big corporation, kind of sell my soul to the, the the man or the devil or whatever. And on the other side, the the other path was, uh, well, I had just been the lead in my high school musical, <laughs> so all of a sudden I was gonna move to New York and be a singer and go to Broadway and live the bohemian life, and join, you know, and uh, kind of live the, the spiritual, uh, follow my spiritual passion. And it really felt like this black or white path, like it could only have one or the other. And I didn't know what to do. So I was in contemplation one day, and kind of asking this question of, you know, the divine. And I got what I call a full body yes, like I 100% knew the answer with total conviction. And it came with you know, kind of an intuitive message that went along with it. And the message was, maybe you can change work from the inside out. Okay, I'm 17, right? What, what's my 17-year-old self going to do with that? But I knew, and so I went off and got an engineering degree. And I spent kind of the next 30 years, you know, trying to be a good person and trying to do the right things. And I have, um, I eventually found my way into a career in support and support leadership or customer service leadership. And I found myself at LinkedIn, 
you know, seven years ago. And a couple years into the job, I noticed that LinkedIn's this amazing place that we talk about the transformation, the transformation of self, the transformation of team, the transformation of the world. And I thought, wow, maybe this is a place where I could be my full self and bring kind of these contemplative practices to the workplace uh, in a totally secular way, in a completely, in a way that's comfortable for everyone. And I started by leading just one meditation class. And I was, you know, I, there was one guy there. And I'm sure he was just as terrified as I was. <laughs> I never saw that dude again. And the next week there was three. The week after that there was five. And it became a regular thing. And I volunteered as the head of mindfulness for a few years, kind of helping with other volunteers like you guys create what I think now is a world-class program. And that kind of culminated in, you know, a year and a half ago, you know, creating this position to so that we can invest in both mindfulness and compassion in a full-time and more meaningful way. Wow. So that's the that's the maybe not so speedy version of how we got here. Thanks for asking. Now, that was such a such a beautiful synopsis and I'm so excited to dig into what you're doing now in the program, but I'm so curious, you know, these these moments when you were 13 and you were 17 like you don't hear about those so often. Like how how were you able to be so in tune with you? Like is there anything, any advice that you can give our listeners or what was it that you really felt that? And when you kind of got the answer when you were 17, I'm curious, were you were you praying? Were you, what what kind of spiritual, you know, connection were you having? And I'm sure. were you were you physically asking, you know, the universe for something? Well, and I want to add one thing too is like what does a full body yes feel like? That sounds cool. <laughs> Yeah, well, let me start there because it's all interrelated. I, the full body, yes, I, I've had this, well, the, there's times in my life where it's really, where I don't know what to do next, right? Uh, the spiritual path I belong to teaches self-responsibility and it teaches, teaches a direct relationship with the divine. And there's, you know, so I'm always kind of interacting with it. It's in almost every moment. And there's these times in my life where I don't know the answer. And so I kind of raise my hands and have a little bit of humility and say, look, I, I'm trying to listen. Right? It's, like a, it's like a radio station, you know, where it's sometimes the old-timey radio stations where you're clicking the dial. And sometimes you're right in the center of the stream that's being broadcast, and you can hear it clearly. And then sometimes you're on a station that's like two things at once, and sometimes you're just off and it's static, right? I think everybody knows what that feels like. And it's these moments where I don't hear clearly, where I'll, I'll go for something more, which is like I throw up my hands and go, I, I don't know. I need something more obvious. You know? And then usually life will provide something a bit more obvious. And then the full body, yes, when you get it, feels like, oh, there's no, there's no more question. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I know now. It's like 100% in my bones. I know the answer like without, without hesitation, without regret. Mm-hmm. And so the, the way this works for me is I, I do this practice, as I mentioned before, where I sing the hue, and I'll sing it till I feel both my mind and my body get centered and settled. And then I'll just, you know, first it's singing, and then it's listening. What does the divine have mm-hmm. to say? And I'll use it for problem solving. I'll use it for just, just anything that's going on in life. I, I call it being a co-worker with life or a co-worker with the divine. Mm-hmm. How do you um, work with this aspect of control? Because as human beings, we just, uh, you know, we want to control the future. We want to know what's going to happen. And just letting go and surrendering yeah. is, you know, what we talk a lot about in terms of mindfulness and compassion. How, how is that for you? How do you go about doing that? Sure. Well, I think control is an illusion. 
we all want it, right? We yeah. all want to control the variables that make up the things that make us happy. Um, but we, there's no way to control the outside circumstances in our life. So the things that we can control um, are our own internals. We can control, not really control, but we can influence how much our mind gets settled, how much our body gets settled. And we can, t- can control, to some degree, our own happiness. And then we have to kind of let things go. It doesn't mean, there's this interesting balance, especially in the workplace. It doesn't mean that we just let things go and say, oh, wow, whatever happens in life is totally fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because there's this other aspect of us, like, no, we're, we're paid to do a job, and we're, we're going to do high, um, high achievement work. And so it's this trick of how do we both be a driver and really create things in our life but then kind of let go of the results. Mm. And it's this dance of back and forth, of knowing the things that we can control, knowing the things that we can't control. Um, that is for sure a dance. Yeah, there's um, in the spiritual path that I follow, they talk a lot about faith versus certainty. And, you know, faith yeah. would kind of be that passive piece, right? Where you're sitting back and saying, okay, well, this is all going to work out. I throw my hands up. And what that doesn't allow any of us to do is actually take action, have any level of influence, not control over our destinies and where we're going. And so certainty is this idea of faith in action, which I really love, kind of very similar to what you're saying. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful. So you are at LinkedIn, you start doing a meditation class, one guy shows up, it's a little awkward, <laughs> yeah. Um, but then things right. progress over time, and you know you've been in this role for about a year and a half. You know what made Jeff Weiner, the CEO of LinkedIn, say yes to starting this program? Like, why sure. now? What was this time? Well, actually, I think it comes two ways. So for me, the tipping point in making it a full-time gig was Jeff, our CEO, gave the commencement address at Wharton about a year and a half ago, in May of whatever that was, 2018. Um, and here's this really successful, high-powered CEO and these really going-to-be-successful you know, young people coming out of Wharton. And his message to them in this commencement address, the one thing that's going to make you most successful at work and most successful in life is to be compassionate. And I thought, wow, that's really interesting. It was like Jeff coming out, right, mm-hmm. talking about compassion in a very public way. And then the next two or three times he's on TV, that's all the reporters want to talk about. They'd have one question about LinkedIn or Microsoft and 20 questions about compassion or compassion and leadership. And so I was thinking, okay, well, it's time. It's time for us to invest in this because it's great that Jeff is out in the world talking about it. That's amazing. But if we send 16,000 people back to their desks and tell them the number one thing you can do is be compassionate, do we know exactly what that means? And so I spent the last 20 years being an ops guy. Well, now my job is to operationalize compassion to really build it into the bones of what we do so that we treat each other compassionately. That's obvious. But even deeper, how do we sell compassionately? How do we build products in a compassionate way? How do we think of our employees in a compassionate way and the broader environment that we work in? And so that's there's two parts of my role now. One is operationalized compassion. And two, I call it mainstreaming mindfulness, just this concept of mindfulness, making it as commonplace as physical exercise. So... I think it was easy to say yes to in the context of all that. And what made LinkedIn a great place to do this? Like, I think Leah and I, I mean, I know we know the culture here is very strong. What about the culture? What about the company made it the company to start doing this or one of the companies? to Sure. Start doing this? 
Well, LinkedIn is already a super compassionate place. I think we have compassion at the root of our culture. Many of our cultural tenants have their, have their roots in compassion, like relationships matter, or open, honest, and constructive, or members first. All of these things have compassion at the roots. And our leadership team, I think, is, has been amazingly steeped in this world of compassion, even if they wouldn't use the word compassion. It's at the root of what we do. And then just who we are as a company. I mean, we're building products to connect the world. We're building products for people, for human resources. And so everything about our culture and the way we're aligned uh, leads to this really incredible openness. And that openness, that kind of the leading edge of consciousness, let's say, is a great place to talk about compassion. And it's a great place to talk about personal development, which is really what mindfulness is. Mindfulness, for me, I use it in its broadest sense, the term, to mean awareness or self-awareness or the awareness of others. And so we talk so much about the transformation of self and the building of our own capabilities and doing our best work, that this idea that if we practice mindfulness or any of these techniques, we're just becoming a better version of ourselves. And so LinkedIn already had all of these pieces just waiting. And so it was easy for me to step in and kind of codify some of these things that we're doing and operationalize them. It was because largely it was things we were already doing. Yeah, it does feel so natural for, for LinkedIn. Um, one of the things is you were explaining, this feels like a, a very full circle experience, right? You had this experience when you were 17 saying, I'm going to change work from the inside out. And now that's literally your headline for on sure. LinkedIn. That's what you're doing. Like, what is this like for you to be doing this right now, you know, 20 plus years later? <laughs> It's amazing. Uh, yeah, thank you for it's even more than that years later. Thank you for being so kind. kind. <laughs> In my heart, it is. <laughs> Look, anytime you get to create your own role and fill it full of all the things that you really want to do and you're passionate about and hopefully you're good at and somebody agrees to pay you for that, you should totally take that job. <laughs> so I talk about it as being my lottery job, mm -hmm. right? I had my dream job before when I was the VP of operations, global customer operations. Uh, I literally would not have traded jobs with anybody in the world. And now I have my lottery job, meaning if I won the lottery, I would still come back to work and do this work. It's, it's what I want to do. So what does it feel like? It feels... It feels so gratifying, so amazing. I hope that everyone in the world has this opportunity to find something that they really, mm. really love and are passionate about, and they can do that as their as their purpose and as their living. That's so beautiful. I love it. I hope the same thing for people too. Um, and I'm curious, like the right now. So you kind of started alluding to why mindfulness and compassion, based on Jeff's speech. But yep. what's important about it right now in the world, even beyond LinkedIn? Sure. I think we see it. We see the opposite of compassion on television every day, every night, or television or your news channel or your feed, your social media feed. The world can be, under one lens, a very divisive place, right? And certainly in, as an example, American politics. And I think, you know, we all want to do something to make it better, but sometimes it can seem like it's really overwhelming because the world is such a big place. To me, Mindfulness and compassion are two steps. Mindfulness is about what can I do for myself to make me the best I can be so that I can deal with a very challenging world, a very, you know, life is coming at all of us very quickly. And mindfulness helps us stay centered. It helps us be at our best. And then the second part is we don't live or work in isolation. We work with other people. We live with other people. And that's where compassion comes in. Uh, and so being able to work with others in a way that's constructive. We, I call this moving from me to we, right? 
And the me part is when we're selfish, when we're just thinking about ourselves. The we part is when we see ourselves as part of the whole and we start taking action as if we're part of a whole. I think it's needed and I think it's something that each one of us can learn and take steps in that will make a world a better place. So for example, if I don't like the political system or the education system or the divergence in economic opportunity, I could go spend my time trying to solve any one of those things. But for me personally, I want to invest my time in mindfulness and compassion because I think that is the tide that lifts all boats. Mm -hmm. Right? If we have more compassion in the world, we need to l talk less about justice or less about inequality. Uh, so for me, it's, it's, it's not a cure-all, but it's something that helps with every other problem that we're facing in the world. Yeah. And there's certainly a domino effect, right, the, from me to we. So you know this works. Um, you know there is a need. How do you go from theory to practice? How do you get those 16,000 people to go back to their desk and start being compassionate? What are some of the programs or things that you're doing at LinkedIn today? Sure. Well, let me talk about it in two ways. On the mindfulness side, this is really about self-development and really mainstreaming mindfulness or taking the idea of meditation or contemplative practices and making it just as normal, just as integrated as physical exercise is into our world. And so today we're offering something like 40, 50, 60 different weekly meditation sessions globally for our 16,000 employees. We also have drop-in community sessions, you know, they're half an hour long every week. We have a speaker series that's geared towards wisdom topics. Uh, and we even lead things like week, uh, uh, meditation retreats on the weekends, you know, once a quarter here in the Bay Area and sometimes other places when we have them available. So on the mindfulness side, it's just building this, you know, continuing to beat the drum of making it normal to meditate. So to the, to the point where if somebody asks you what you're doing after work, it's just as normal to say, I'm going to go try out the 430 meditation class as it is to say, I'm going to go do CrossFit or TRX with my friends at 430. So that's one. On the compassion side, we started by building a set of workshops. And this is really to build in a framework to talk about compassion, this me to we concept. And so we have two or three workshops that we're delivering. Uh, and I started by the first year I was in this role, just mostly delivering them myself with a partner. Uh, and now we've trained about 15 or 20 LinkedIn employees from around the globe to deliver those workshops themselves. And this is really allowing us to scale. And, uh, and now we've had hundreds, if not you know, thousands of people go through these workshops. Um, and that's the starting place, right, just to really build this framework. I think that some of the next phases are continuing to build it into our operations, to look through every group's playbook with the, from the lens of compassion to say, okay, are we really selling compassionately? Are our policies compassionate? Are the metrics that we're using compassionate? So as an example, when I was head of customer service, I always wanted to look at my quarterly objectives from a viewpoint of the customer. I always wanted to be able to sit down with a customer and be proud to show that person my um, objectives and to know that I was working on their behalf. So in the same way, are the metrics that we're targeting, are they selfish or otherish? In other words, are they just a bunch of internal mumbo jumbo or are they focused on really truly providing either employee or customer value? So those are the few of the ways that we're uh, just getting started, you know, with these programs. Yeah, um, I, I love hearing all of those things. I'm thinking about each of the times I've been involved in them. And it's amazing to start to see how people are starting to create a more kind of mainstream mindset about it. 
they're feeling like yeah. it's a natural thing to engage in. I'm curious if I'm listening to this podcast and I don't work at LinkedIn and I want to have an impact on my organization in mindfulness or compassion, what would you suggest I do? Sure. There's a couple things. Um, you know, on the one hand, myself and some friends who also lead have these types of jobs uh, created a playbook for people to get started if they want to bring mindfulness to their uh, to their companies. And you can either reach out to me, but you can find it on Mindful Workplace Movement. If you search for Mindful Workplace Movement or Mindful Workplace Alliance, there's a playbook there on our website. But two is what I would say is just start. Start with doing something that you love, but also that you're, you know, competent in. And just like, just like I started, I started a meditation class. That's what I'd known, you know, doing something I'd done since I was 13. And one person came and that one event snowballed into, you know, a big program along with, I wasn't just the only one. There were lots of people also taking one step, you know, and eventually we found each other and kind of worked together to build something amazing. And so, one of the biggest lessons I learned was the biggest obstacle was getting me out of the way, you know, getting my own fear, my own pride, my own ego out of the way and just getting started. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee quite simply isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise. A promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. A promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hi, I'm Tober Korn, LinkedIn's Chief Product Officer. On my podcast, Building One, we dive deep into what it takes to build great products. Recently, we had Zach Perret, the CEO of Plaid and he shared about his struggles building a financial app for consumers and how he was able to turn it all around with a critical pivot. Take a listen. I personally couldn't resonate as much with the consumer set that we were trying to reach. I just didn't have that level of empathy. When we made the shift to building a B2B product though, I was building the product that I wanted. My co-founder and I were creating the product that we wanted ourselves and we had so much empathy for what that product was. Such a great insight. You know, in that sense, we got lucky because we were, we were creating a thing for ourselves. And then the people that we were talking to also had the same problems we did. They were fintech developers. We'd been a fintech developer. Uh, we'd been trying to build a fintech product for a year. and so. We had such deep empathy. We had such a clear ability to... If you want to hear more of Zach Perret's story and the lessons that follow, listen and subscribe to my podcast, Building One. Can you talk to us a little bit about um, this codifying compassion um, and some of the behaviors that you see? Because you mentioned policies, you also mentioned customers, and to be compassionate to others, right? That could mean anyone. So how do you kind of break this down for the organization? Sure. And this is the model that we're, we're just starting, right? Just starting to build. I think we're trying to say in this model that compassion happens kind of in three ways. One, it happens at the individual level. And that's the easiest thing to see, right? When one person helps another person or within a team, people help each other. So it's individual first. And then in the team environment. So something simple like if we're all on video conference and there's one person who's not in the room with us and the rest of us are all together. Just thinking about that person also and including them in the conversation or occasionally reaching out to go, oh, hey, Jackie, I'd really like to hear what you have to say about this. These types of behaviors are 
they're simple but not easy because we get into just the the rut of not dealing with mm-hmm. them. Or in a team environment, starting a meeting with a kudo or a gratitude. In other words, just go around really quickly and everybody says one thing they're, they're grateful for. That's a way of building this really psychological safety in the team. Uh, just a few examples. And then at the company level or at the bigger group level, it's thinking about things like, so as an example, in sales, our head of sales will stand up in front of five or 6,000 salespeople and say, look, never sell anything our customers don't need just so you can hit your quota at the end of the quarter. That's really powerful. And that one kind of seminal story or that emblematic story leads to all kinds of great behaviors. Now, it doesn't mean that we're perfect, right? It doesn't mean that there's still, for sure, there's still tension in an individual salesperson when they are at the end of the quarter and they need to hit their quota or their performance suffers. What do they do? And we're still working out how how do you really embed this in a way Mm -hmm. where good things happen all the time. But that's the intention. Another way this happens is, as an example, in product, we have this meeting that happens every week. And it used to be three or four years ago, it used to be called the growth and engagement meeting. And it's a meeting where you might imagine we go through all of the metrics that are relevant to our business, right? That's about a, you know, an hour and a half or two hour long meeting. And a few years ago, we changed the name of the meeting to be called the member value meeting. And we changed the metrics, the primary metrics to be all member centric. So in other words, as an example, before, if we were thinking about, you know, jobs at LinkedIn, our, maybe our primary metric at the time was number of jobs listed on LinkedIn. But now the primary metric around jobs is confirmed hires. In other words, did we actually make a difference to the end customer that is paying us or to the member that's trying to find a job? So it's moving again from being selfish or self-centric to otherish mm-hmm. or other-centric. Mm-hmm. Um, it means finding a business model that works great, but also being on purpose intentional about taking care of our employees and taking care of our customers and members in a really meaningful way. Yeah. And I think this is what any business can do. So I, what I say is that, look, compassion is not a Silicon Valley luxury. It's not a thing that's just on the bleeding edge. This is how we're successful. It's how we're successful as an individual, how we're successful as a team, and how we're successful as a company. Yeah. And this intentionality that you're you're talking about, that is mindfulness, right? That salesperson needs to be aware of are they selling compassionately, right? So it starts with the awareness, the presence for themselves and being mindful about it to then be able that's to correct. be the compassionate to others. That's correct. And that's, that's why correct. the company policies also have to follow, right? So that you feel that you can be mindful, com- compassionate. Right, creating the, the context that you're living in, right, to, to enable you to do that. Exactly, right. Exactly. And mm-hmm. even on the intentionality piece, you reminded me of something that I heard Brene Brown say when I was listening to one of her books. She was saying that assuming perfection in the others is an empathetic miss. And what you said was talking about the fact that we are not going to be able to do this perfectly every single time. We're going to make mistakes, but it's really about making the decision that this is the direction we want to go. And I think that's exactly. kind of the interesting thing about this type of work, right, is people oftentimes assume that we're perfect or whoever is doing this work is perfect because they're doing it. Yeah, I think there's some people are a little bit scared. I've talked to managers who are like, wow, are we really going to talk about this? Because I don't know if I can live up to it. Mm-hmm. You know, or <laughs> And so I think it's, it goes back to this intention. Mm-hmm. If I have an intention to be there, I'm, I'm not going to be perfect. Look, 
uh, let me start by saying I, Scott, am for sure not perfect, right? And I am the, quote, head of mindfulness and compassion. I make mistakes every day. Mm-hmm. I'm saying the wrong things sometimes every day. I'm, but my intention is to be great at it. Yeah. And so I'm going to practice and I'm going to be vulnerable and I'm going to hope to, you know, make my skills better every day so I can achieve my best self. Yeah. It reminds me of when we had Rosanna DeRuthi. Um, she's the, the global head of diversi- diversity, inclusion, and belonging at LinkedIn. And she talks about cultural humil- humility, but it's this humbleness, right, where it's your there is some risk in saying something that you're unsure if it's okay, right, quote, unquote, un- okay to say. But it's feeling comfortable enough to say, I'm going to be vulnerable. And it's almost a very similar humility here is what I'm seeing that connection as. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. and so powerful to do this work, to be the person to step into Oh, it. yeah. Because it is so it, scary. People go, oh, my God, I, I can't commit to this, like you said. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Right? Fear of, of failure there. Um, so, Scott, as we kind of wrap up, I would love to also hear, we would love to also hear just, what are you doing outside of LinkedIn right now to start really getting this movement moving? Sure. Yeah, I changed my tagline to change work from the inside out. And so I, I really mean the 3.3 billion workers in growing in the world. And so it starts at LinkedIn. You know, we first have to prove it. And I think we're an amazing proving grounds, but then taking it outside. So there's a number of things that we're doing and are planning to do. Partially, it's building content that is also relevant for outside. Um, and so I'm creating LinkedIn learning classes and creating classes on other apps like Insight Timer. We're hosting have hosted and will continue to host an annual compassion conference in conjunction with Wisdom 2.0. And so compassion ambassadors that can go back to their workplace and have some of the same knowledge, same model, same skill set to do to do it back in their own shop. We last year and will continue to do the compassion award where we awarded, you know, over $100,000 to different organizations that were driving compassion and supporting compassion in the workplace. And so we'll continue all of the things that look like that, continue to build content in various ways, continuing to build models in various ways, and just getting the word out as much as possible. Can you talk a little bit about Wisdom 2.0 for people who don't know? Yeah, Wisdom 2.0 is a, is a conference that has happened, I think this year will be the 11th year here in the Bay Area. And it's a two or three day event with people uh, from all over the globe talking about consciousness topics. Everything from the environment to social justice to spiritual development to the intersection and all of that with the intersection of technology. So it's really kind of interesting. The the head of Wisdom 2.0, Soren Gordhammer, wanted to be at this intersection between or found himself at this intersection between technology and spirituality. Uh, And I myself have found myself in that same junction. And then we have this, we have this other group called Sounds True, uh, who is a publisher out of Boulder, led by Tammy Simon, and she also is finding herself in this position. And so the three of us are creating this other program called the Inner MBA. And so I'm excited to talk about that as well. It's a nine month program that starts in September of 2020. It's the inaugural version. And we'll, we'll bring leaders from all over the world to talk about the skill set that really helps develop that inner side of our life, right? And so there'll be discussions with CEOs, there'll be discussions from spiritual leaders, there'll be discussions from uh, subject matter experts, 
uh, in this field. So those are that's another part of what we're doing with along with Wisdom 2.0. Yeah, I love yeah. this blend of spirituality and kind of bringing some of that into our spaces, right? And not keeping it as secular. Exactly. That's a personal, <laughs> personal. <laughs> what an awesome name, Inner MBA. Yeah. That's so yeah. that's awesome. Very cool. Yeah. Well, Leah and I have been so fortunate to work, you know, closely with you and really see the movement that you've brought to LinkedIn and how things are changing in a positive way. And it's incredible to see the work that you're doing externally and really having this impact on the world. So awesome stuff. What else do you want people to know? What what's important that maybe we haven't covered today? Yeah, I like the story, the starfish story. Some people know the story. So an old man's walking along the beach and there's been this tidal event. And there are millions and millions of starfish washed up on the shore. And he's walking along, and there's this young boy he sees kind of at the edge of the water, picking up starfish and throwing them back in the water. And the old man comes along, and he says, you know, what are you doing? He said, well, these starfish have washed up, and they're all going to die. I'm throwing them back. And the man looks down both sides of the coast, and it's just miles and miles of these starfish. He's like, there's so, so many. What does it matter? And the little boy holds up one of the starfish and says, well, it matters to this one. You know, he throws it back in the water. And I think this is what we often feel in the world, right? There is so much, we could say, so much wrong with the world if we looked at it through one lens, or so much I want to change. But it starts with just one step, right? So this is my hope for everyone. It's just when we wake up every morning, it matters to this one. And that this one could be me. It could be the neighbor I'm going to help out. It could be the one thing I'm going to do that day, today, to make the world a better place. It matters to this one. Wow. Wow. Well, with that, thank you so much for joining us, Scott. That story is beautiful. And I'm like, we have nothing else to say. Yeah, (laughs) we can't can't really follow that. Um, What a beautiful way to land and to end this, this episode. Yeah. Thanks for having me, you guys. You guys are doing great work. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you for joining us. And there are so many things you're doing, and we will, you know, you mentioned a few of them, Wisdom 2.0, LinkedIn Learning Courses, your Compassion Summit. If you're listening to this, please feel free to look any of these things up. Scott is really all over the place at this point. We're excited to continue to see your work grow and, and affect and change in others. So thanks so much for all of our listeners for joining us on the journey. If you want more of Scott, as I mentioned, you can check out all of what he's done. And if you want more of In the Arena, you can look for In the Arena LinkedIn on Spotify or iTunes. Have a great day, everyone.